0: This is Startups A to Z. I'm Hillary Hirsch.
1: And I'm Mark Scholin. Hillary and I are here to share conversations all about the Arizona startup community.
0: You can learn more about the show at startupsa Z.com. Check us out on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Startups A to Z. Most importantly, if you like the show, subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcast library of choice.
1: Great. Well, we're here again, uh, getting on our feet more and more after each episode. Um, today, uh, very excited about uh, the topic. It's something that um, I can relate to myself in, in a large degree. And uh, the topic for today is uh, uh, being an entrepreneur and student at the same time.
0: Yes. Yep. So, Mark, this is a uh, topic that hits pretty close to home for you, right?
1: It does. And, um, you know, we have our, our esteemed guest today, Adil Yang. Yeah, Adil, it's, uh, it's great to have you here.
0: Yeah, ideal. This is wonderful. Thanks for joining us today. No problem. And how about you? Just start and tell us a little bit about your company.
2: About Picmonic. Well, uh, there's a lot that I can talk about, but um, I'll start with saying that basically the whole concept of Picmonic came about when I was a student at uh, University of Arizona College of Medicine down in Tucson, and you know, medical school is one of those experiences where. You just have so much to learn, and you're constantly being challenged with, uh, you know, information that you have to retain, uh, practices, as well as uh, in general, you know, high stakes exams. So that uh, experience drove me to want to find a better way to study. And personally, I was really frustrated with just how ineffective. Some of the techniques that we practice today were like, for example, making flashcards or highlighting books over and over or just rote memorization. Very old school. Very old school. Yeah. Yeah. And um, a classmate at a time of mine, Ron Robertson, he's now my co-founder, we used to uh, study together and, and we sort of had this creative approach of coming up with stories and pictures very uh, mnemonic-driven, very fun, very right-brained. And uh, not only did that particular technique help us do better on our exams, we started you know, sharing that with our friends, and they really got into it. And what kind of grew out as necessity really became the, the backbone in, in why we started Picmonic, which is to essentially help students learn more efficiently and be able to util- utilize these creative techniques to, to study and to retain knowledge.
0: So, Adil, did you end up graduating uh, from medical school at the U of A?
2: Yeah, actually, I, I just finished uh, all of my coursework. So, you know, by December, I'll have my degree. So I'm, I'm done. Okay, so we can call you Oh, MB. wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, soon. <laughs> soon,
1: okay. <laughs>
0: That's exciting. Yep.
1: So um, I definitely can understand what you're talking about as far as uh, identifying a very clear problem mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to studying very complex intricate information you know i'm an engineer by my background and in fact i did spend some time as a graduate student after i got my undergrad um, and went through the exact same sorts of issues of just you know struggling and how to how to retain all this information and, uh, and how to apply it properly um, both in like a testing environment but even just in, in you know using it for real applications mm-hmm. So I get that uh, the problem was uh, was you know uh, needed needs to be addressed. Yep. And so you're doing that, Um, but I'm wondering, you know, because you had your plate so full with uh, medical school, which from my understanding is probably the most time intensive of any sort of graduate degree program that's out there. um, What inspired you to actually make that leap and not only create these tools for yourself, but actually try to build a business around it for others to take advantage
2: of? That, that's a great question because, really, if I think back, um, I would have said, you know, Adil, you're crazy. Like, why are you doing this? Um, I think, I guess, when you're in the moment and you really believe in something, you just try to make it happen. But how I actually manage to make it happen, it's obviously a lot of time management, a lot of prioritization, and keeping, you know, yourself healthy emotionally at the same time. So I could definitely share some of those techniques. But, you know, personally, I've, I've always been sort of the kind of guy that keep my plate pretty full. Um, even before I started Picmonic, when I was in med school, I was actually working for a, a company that invested in medical device or, you know, pharmaceutical companies. And what that taught me was that basically there's definitely a way of uh, delegating kind of your daily activities and, you know, focusing on school, but at the same time being able to complete a set of tasks that your employer requires of you. And a lot of students, you know, go through college or graduate school working on the side. So that's what I did. And I think that provided a little bit of training for me in terms of time management before I actually started Picmonic.
1: It sounds like then you actually had a bit of an opportunity beforehand to see other startups up close then. To yes, understand, definitely. To understand definitely. the mechanics mm-hmm. that were involved. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. so it was a
0: little bit more familiar for you when you started this.
2: Yep. Yeah.
1: I was shy I at that. I, I went <laughs> totally raw. It was, yeah. I mean, talk about coping mechanisms and things, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and I definitely want to get into that a bit later, for sure. Um, but uh, you know, a little bit more about, you know, I guess conditions that were going on in your life that that made uh, that made Pygmonic happen. So, you mentioned uh, your co-founder and friend uh, Ron, right? Yep. So he's a co-founder, and my understanding is there's three of you that co-founded the company. So like. You had your own thoughts in mind about how to take this, uh, you know, the solution that was developed, turned it into Picmonic. But um, it doesn't sound like you did that alone. So what roles did uh, those other two co-founders of yours play in actually pushing this thing out there? And maybe was it the kind of thing where without them, you would have maybe just did things one at a time as far as get your uh, your MD and then move on to uh, uh, found a business?
2: Yeah, and, you know, I have to say, I, I don't know how some of those other lone founders out there actually build their business because I can't even imagine starting yeah. this company. I'm one of those, by the way. <laughs> it's it's know, so tough, right? You know, pros and cons, there's um, pros and cons. You know, in my experience, obviously, still from a startup perspective, fairly limited, PicMonica is my first real startup. So having Ron and Ken sort of uh, help delegate and, and divide and conquer, so to speak, a lot of the tasks involved with startup was I was very fortunate to have them. Now, specifically, how we did it, we actually all wore different hats um, simultaneously, but we would actually pass uh, certain tasks along uh, to each other so that we continuously learn about each other's roles. So, for example, when we first started, um, I was assigned because you know I, I had known the material fairly well. Uh, medical, you know, uh, knowledge. So I was trying to essentially work with the artist to come up with all the Pygmonics. and Ron and Ken sort of took the role of developing the software. And what they did was they reached out to certain uh, friends and connections that had, you know, software engineers that they could, you know, uh, leverage to build a product together. And then at one point we sort of switched roles, where uh, as soon as we um, had customers. We had to divide and conquer again. So Ron took on the marketing role. And then at one point we switched. I I took on the marketing role and he went back to product development. So what actually causes us to switch, you know, really it became a matter of recognizing the strengths and weaknesses of of uh, each other and believing in, you know, having faith in the ability for all of us to deliver what we say we we're going to deliver. And it really helps when uh, people at least your your co founding members are willing to step up to the plate, even though perhaps there's a challenge that they're not necessarily have experience in. So for us, it was really a matter of uh, divide and conquer, but staying very in sync with each other's roles so we could sort of provide that safety net to say, okay, you're you know perhaps not performing as well. Let me step in and try to try to give it a try, and let's switch roles and see if we can mix things up. And eventually, you know, we settled into our our respective uh, positions
1: i'm a fan of that approach for sure and i would imagine that being able to lean on people you can trust like that uh made it at least a little easier to to manage your personal your other personal activities mainly like the medical school part Mm -hmm. right for sure yeah
0: yeah i'm sure one of the things that has got to be really hard in a group activities you always find that one person does more work than the others and You know, it's a really unfortunate scenario, but it sounds like for you guys, you kind of found the right team and you all work together and Mm -hmm. you understand each other's weaknesses too, which is really great. So That's
2: right. And that's really important, right? Understanding not just the strength, but the weaknesses because, and those sort of evolved too. Uh, There were certain things that I didn't know how to do before that I would have considered a weakness. You know, I've sort of learned quicker than others and now it's it's a strength of mine.
1: Give us some examples, if you would, on that. Sure.
2: uh, I think pitching. I mean, that's a great example, Mm -hmm. right? You know, I, I didn't come into Picmonic knowing how to present to investors or pitch to, uh, you know, administrators or students. And Ron and I, at one point took on, you know, various pitching projects. And over time, I sort of picked up uh, the rhythm and, and gained a little bit more confidence and did a lot more of these pitches. And now I would consider it's one of my strengths. Whereas, you know, I would say when we first started the company, no way like that was, you know, I'd get nervous when I'm talking to investors. So um, but it's through that team collaboration and being able for Ron to say, wow, you know, like you could work on this some more here. Go pitch these two more events, you know, that trust that helped me really learn how to pitch and over time become, you know, fairly good at it.
0: Mm -hmm. You actually made me think of something earlier from what you said. You know, one of my favorite Mark Zuckerberg quotes is don't just start a company do something and what you said earlier was you guys had this concept and you were really passionate about it and you just decided to go out and do it which i feel like a lot of people get caught up in the anxiety and the the unknowingness of starting a business that holds them back but even though being a medical student and all the time that you were doing spent studying and being in school you went out and did it
2: yep Yep. And, I, you know, there's some truth underlying what Mark said, which is, you know, in the startup world, we talk about fail, fast, iterate. We talk about, uh, you know, this whole notion of developing a minimal viable product. You know, we live in a different world now where 10 years ago, uh, people evaluate businesses a little bit differently. You have to have a very complete business plan, well thought out. You have the product that, you know, is completely blueprinted out engineered ready to go whereas nowadays no one can predict when the next Snapchat's going to be or what the next big breakthrough or sticky moment is for a new product so the mentality has shifted a little bit and for us for ron and i you can't you can't really have faith in a plan um anymore like you, you have to just commit to it and do it and have essentially uh the guts to say all right this is probably not going to work, but we're going to put it out there and we're going to see. I mean, if you've seen some of my earlier drawings and our early, early Picmonics, you would have said, you know, for sure this is going to fail. <laughs> I mean, if I were an investor, I would not have invested in our very first set of Picmonics. But uh, it's because of that, you know, sort of that nothing to lose mentality to say, all right, let's put this out there and see what we get. And over time, you start to see where the patterns and I think that the genius nowadays is in recognizing very quickly what's working and grabbing onto that and then keep testing and expanding rather than sitting back in the desk and coming up with this very extended business plan and getting everybody to buy in on it and then go forth and when you fail that's a big failure and that's hard to bounce back from.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So Adil I want to try to um, wrap my head a bit more around, like, the, the conditions that uh, all came together to, to form Pigmonic because, mm-hmm. you know, want to sh- uh, compare notes, if you will. So, mm-hmm. uh, for example, what was your personal funding situation like, both for yourself and, and your co-founders, um, at the time when you were, you know, coming up with the whole concept of these picmonics and wanting to look at it as a business opportunity?
2: So, you mean how much we were in debt? Well, a lot. <laughs> okay. I guess medical school be that to yeah. you, right? Okay. <laughs> so it was even a bigger risk. In fact, I don't even think, you know, my own parents still think that I made a mistake, but hey. Even you know now? What, right? <laughs> <laughs> they've softened up a little bit. But yeah, now that okay. they've seen <laughs>
1: your oh, my, successes along the way. My mom got over it about, I don't know, a year and a half ago
2: probably. <laughs> find my things. mom still wants to you know me to practice medicine, but I've had the conversation with her. Okay. Going back to your question, I would say that The conditions were were rough. Um, You know, when we started Picmonic, we were just starting to get into our clinical years. And uh, unlike the first two years of medicine, where there's a lot of kind of going to lectures and just reading books and studying, uh, your third and fourth year, basically, you're you're in the, the hospital, you're doing rotations for most medical schools, for us, for sure. And what we had done was, you know, by that time, we had already recruited a few artists, recruited a few um we rec- you know recruited a few kind of operational people to start building uh the software etc and what we had to do what ron and i had to do was um basically go to our rotations during the day and at night work on these projects with the artists with the software engineers and we got burned out pretty quickly um i think thankfully some rotations are tougher than others. So when Ron was on, we actually coordinated our rotation. So when Ron was on, let's say, surgery rotation, then I was on, let's say, family medicine, which is a little bit lighter. Uh, and then we would reverse roll so that at any given point, there's someone who can dedicate time to it. So that's another beauty of having a co-founder is, you know, every every one of us you know, has that moment when you're like, I'm just way too busy right now to do anything. And that sort of comes in phases, right? So you want to have a co-founder who can counteract that.
0: Balance the workload. Definitely.
2: And um, at the end of our third year, um, we decided to take a leave of absence from school. So we had Hmm. essentially talked to the dean, talked to the right authorities at large, and said, hey, you know, we're passionate about this project. Now, thankfully, they were very, very supportive. So they granted us a year leave of absence, and after that, I sort of slowly but surely came back, you know, a month at a time and finished the rest of my coursework, which dragged out for another year and a half. But, hey, you do what you got to do, right, to keep the company going.
1: And so um, you mentioned recruiting people to work with uh, on your night shifts, I guess, if you want to call them that. I mean, so I mean... <laughs> and weekend
2: shifts, don't forget.
1: Sure. And, and weekends too. Yeah. Um So, like, I mean, were you paying them or was it an equity type of transaction? Like, how are you, you know, getting these people to do this work for you?
2: Yeah, the first year of the company's uh, founding, we didn't have any funding. So we managed to essentially convince all these people that we were building something great. It's a lot of selling. I mean, that's what startup is. You know, you have to sell your vision to your customers, to your employees, to your investors, to yourself. You have to remind yourself constantly um, not to give up, even during hard times. So we had managed to sell several of our uh, you know, early kind of founding members of the team uh, that they would take, take on some equity and do it for free. So we were essentially in this bootstrap mode where we just wanted to charge towards having a product that we could release and demonstrate to the world that this was valuable.
0: So um, Mark and I were bantering back and forth earlier a little bit, and we were talking about the idea of age. You know, in my profession, it's been a little bit hard after I graduated from college for people to take me seriously because of my age. And I oh, work in a profession. It is sad. It's hard. It's, yeah. mm-hmm. But, I, you know, you get over it and you just, you learn to, you know, move on and, you know, brush it off.
1: And that's when then we're talking. So your industry is economic development. Economic right? development. So working yeah. Working with other uh, municipalities for any sort of incentive programs, whatever. So Exactly. um, So, yeah, for me, you know, I come from a water industry background, very engineering-oriented, a lot of gray hairs, okay? Um, People, double my age, are on the low end of of the Mm, spectrum of, uh, you know, uh, the Mm decision-makers. And, man, I mean, you talk about uh, learning to pitch to different groups to, you know, get them on your side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a big – it's a steep learning curve. Yep. Right. You you learn fast, though, which is – I mean – if you know it's good for you, you learn fast. Yep. It's either that or you, you burn out. So, um,
0: yeah. So, so it, yeah. we were wondering. You know, I, I thought maybe you might have uh, you know encountered some similar experiences like us, where you know you don't get taken too ser- You don't get taken seriously um,
1: as seriously as you want. As to. Seriously as seriously as you want way. to.
0: Yeah. You know, as a young adult in our twenties, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but. Mark brought up a good point where your audience is people our age and younger. Mm-hmm. So maybe that it doesn't matter. Helped. I mean that definitely so. helped.
2: Well I can share with you kind of two for for any businesses, you know, you have to deal with your know, your board, your employees, your investors, and then you have your customers. Now for us, we 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 have to learn about our audience as well, right? So our primary audi- audience, uh like we're talking twenty something students so we were able to relate very quickly and kind of draft the right message and pitch to them and it wasn't that hard especially when we know their pain points really well investors that's a different story right i mean these are typically gray hair very seasoned some of them are near retirement some of them are running huge you know institutions that invest in companies professionally so knowing how to pitch differently, I think, was very important. And for me, initially, we definitely struggled on the investment side, you know, not having any experience, first of all. Investors look at you differently. I look like I'm 14, so that doesn't really help. Mind um, you,
0: everybody, our listeners, a has braces. <laughs> yeah. But he's getting them off soon, I assume.
2: <laughs> Knock on wood, right? My orthodontics keeps well, we tricking We don't want to be,
1: look young,
0: so I
2: mean, <laughs> it's not a bad thing. Yeah, it's not I a good way get to get do braces. it. Trust, trust me on that. So... What we had to do was basically uh, talk differently, dress differently. Um, we have to uphold ourselves more professionally when we're talking to investors or board members, um, even institutional uh, partners. We're talking deans and administrators. So I think it takes some practice, but I think the first step we did was just have a candid conversation with some of these potential audience and really understanding you know, ask tough questions like, "How how would you perceive me if I had done this?" And you know, would would I pitch? Well, would you actually react differently if I pivoted this way? So ask them tough questions, like almost like focus groups, right? You want to understand your customers. So uh, same thing with, I think we're in a we're in a thankfully day and age where uh, investors see a lot of young younger entrepreneurs being successful. I think they're, they have a little bit less doubt than before about uh, our abilities to build a successful business. But still, there's a lot of stereotype that we have to go up against. And, and particularly okay. for
1: companies uh, built around products like yours, I yes. think that that um, trend has definitely helped. I wish I could say the same, but uh, <laughs> not quite. Um, but hey, it still has worked mm-hmm. out for the best. Um, So, Adil, um, I want to learn more about some of the uh, specific experiences that you've been through when it comes to fundraising in Arizona. So on our very first episode of the Startup Safety Podcast, we had Jim okay, Mm -hmm. managing director of ATI, formerly ATIF, had a lot of great things to say about uh, valuation at different types of companies. And so for anyone who pays any attention to the Arizona startup community here, I think they will have heard about Pygmonic. You guys do a great job of getting your name out there and having a positive brand image, not only as a product, but just as a, as a great group of people. So uh, explain to me a bit about how um, that learning happened for you and how you learn to pick up all these different nuanced skills and just you know ways to improve that credibility when it comes to Having to pitch in front of people like Jim and having to go up there and say, "Oh yeah, I'm you know I'm a medical student and entrepreneur."
2: Yep, I think the best way to answer that question is if I just kind of shared how it all came about, how you know I grew over time, um, and ultimately I'll say this: uh, investors are people too, right? I mean, they they behind behind the scene they'll think and behave like. Your uncle or like someone who's maybe an older brother. It's I think one of the first things to understand is that they're people and that there's a way to connect with them. Um, they're not just this machine very mechanical and said yes or no to every to every pitch. So it's a relationship ultimately it's a relationship building exercise. And how um Ron and I sort of really grew over time was just like most other startups, we had to start by pitching to those closest to us, right? So our first round of investors were friends and family, and that helped us gain a little bit confidence uh, because, as you guys know, friends and family investors are a little bit easier to pitch to. But there's also a whole set of topic we should talk about, which is why not to take friends and family money. <laughs> we can get, we get to that topic. later. <laughs> that could be its own
1: I'm separate intrigued. show, probably.
2: Uh, not not that you know it's it's a bad thing to you know get get your family's uh you know members invest in your company it's just that you know there's there's obviously a lot of risk affiliated with with startups and some of your family members may not be fully under you know they don't understand the amount of risk they're taking and that could be dangerous and so protecting your family member is a very important thing
1: and you can just screw up that dynamic anyway that relationship exactly. dynamic i mean i, I don't have first hand experience with that but certainly can you know mm-hmm. definitely imagine mm-hmm.
2: yeah So from friends and family, we started getting introductions to perhaps strangers, individual high net worth individuals or uh, super angels, as they call them, you know, just people who individually does angel investing. So we pitch to them and get better experiences over time, get a lot of no's at first, and you start to get yeses, and you, again, adapt and learn how to pitch correctly. And then you go there, uh, you move from sort of, extensions of friends and family to angel investors. And Jim is a great, you know, great example. You know, we met Jim uh, probably a year before we actually pitched to them. So going back to that relationship building exercise, it helped a lot when uh, you could have a casual conversation with a potentially, you know, very seasoned, experienced investor, tell them about your story in a casual way, not in a very intensive pitching setting, and just have them observe you over time and put out like actually put an effort towards building that relationship. So checking in every once in a while. And by the time we actually pitched to ATI, uh, we had already built lots of great relationships and it made that pitch a lot easier. And how
1: did that first meeting with Jim happen? Just as an example for other people who might be in you know, situations we were in, how, yes. to, how do you get that first, uh, you know, that first word in?
2: Right. So Jim is a great example because Jim is individually very well networked. So a lot of people knew of Jim. So when I was uh, essentially pitching to a few of sort of extended friends or uh, high net worth individuals, uh, I had I'd ask about, hey, is there anyone that I should connect with that you could refer me to? And Jim's name came up. So it was actually a partner angel group down in Tucson that had recommended Jim. So the first meeting I had with Jim was at um, Paradise Bakery here uh, in Tempe. And we had a casual conversation over, uh, I think I had just a cup of coffee. And he just wanted to learn more about me. And so we just had a conversation. And there was no hidden agenda, you know, non-threatening. It was just like, wow, you know, I've heard a lot about you, Jim. And Jim's like, oh, tell me about yourself. So it was a very casual conversation that led to great things. That's
0: really funny because I met with Jim at that very same (laughs) Paranormal Oh, Really, That's his Mm. go-to spot. That must be his hangout (laughs) spot.
1: So I think that just underscores the importance for people, particularly uh, who are first-time entrepreneurs or just fresh out of school, to, um, you know, just uh, have the, the courage, I guess, to get out there and uh don't be afraid to just connect with these people that um that you know and, and don't connect with them with any sort of pretense like you were talking about right, right. No, no agenda just be there to talk and uh to get to know each other and uh because ultimately that can you know serve you well in yep. the future as long as you of course do a good job and and present yourself mm-hmm. uh professionally
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and to and, get their feedback. I really liked what you said before about engaging them for feedback and you know, as you grow over time, they'll see that you, you know, worked at it and mm-hmm. grew from it. So yep, yep.
1: just to, I guess, cap off this fundraising uh, topic. So, uh, you know, you've built relationships with people like Jim. And so, I mean, what has that, uh, that yielded uh, your team?
2: Oh, so, you know, ever since, you know, we've uh, gotten to know Jim, not only has he helped, you know, essentially, us raise our first like seed real seed round uh, convertible note Uh, he's also helped network a bunch you know uh, introducing us to other investors introducing us to other companies um, you know help introduce us to these business competitions for example and uh, just general awareness in the community when you have individuals like Jim who is talking about you in the community you know, you mentioned earlier, we've, we've done a pretty decent job in getting the Arizona community to know us as a company. Uh, it's like, who do you think created that? It's, it's individuals like Jim. So.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: so when you were in Tucson, did you connect with the business school, Eller, to kind of get some help at first? Or were you involved with that aspect of the university at all? Uh,
2: You know, what's interesting is that I actually went through Eller when I was an undergrad at uh, University of Arizona. But when we started, it was, um, I think Eller had sort of a a pretty structured uh, program for their students at the time. And I had, I did reach out to um, a few sort of uh, individuals and more of the leadership position there. And they were, they were interested in helping for Sure. But I think we were just trying to figure stuff out at the moment. We didn't really have anything solid to offer them. So um, it wasn't until much later that then I reached back out and, you know, did a few, you know, kind of presentations for, for them and things like that. But nothing formal really came out of that.
1: And just so I understand, so you got your undergrad at U of A and uh, in what?
2: So I had uh, two degrees. I, did, uh, I had a basically Bachelor of Science in uh, Biology, basically and then a Bachelor of Arts in Economics.
1: Okay, and then it sounds like, um, I'm trying to piece together your biography in my head here as far as the early stuff anyway. Um, so after you graduated for undergrad, I mean, you mentioned you um, were working for that, uh, that VC type entity, yep. and so was that like concurrent with medical school? Like did you jump directly into the, the MD program at U of A, or was there like a you know, a transition
2: period mm-hmm. involved there? So when I first graduated, I wasn't sure yet that I wanted to do medicine. Um, there was a little bit of family pressure, I guess you could say, for me to do medicine. And I, at times, see myself, okay, you know, I could be a doctor. But it wasn't something that I was passionate about. That's why I didn't want to jump right into it. Instead, I said, all right, I'm gonna go to, going to go to explore other, other markets and other opportunities and um, through networking, I was able to connect with uh, the CEO at the time of Research Corporation Technologies, which is a, a company down in Tucson that invests in medical device companies, etc. So at first, it was an internship, I really, you know, worked hard, and uh, it eventually landed a full time job there. And when I was working there, um, one of the things that I did was to help assess some of these opportunities that came through the door. So just like any VC would listen to pitches and, and have analysts look through these, uh, you know, decks, et cetera. That's what I did. So I looked through probably, you know, hundreds and hundreds of business plans and got to think about, okay, you know, what are some of the things that work? What are some of the things that are high risk? But the one thing that always kind of bothered me was that whenever I sit there and listen to a pitch, I kept wanting to be on the other side of the table. Because they seem to having they seem to be having a lot more fun, you know they're actually building something and they're going to make a huge impact and when they're successful, it's like their uh essentially efforts come to fruition, whereas as an investor you know we're obviously benefiting and, and helping contributing to that process, but it didn't feel like it was my baby, and I wanted to you know actually raise my own baby. you wanted to give birth okay yep, yep. yeah yep <laughs> <laughs> exactly um so I uh decided that I wanted to do medical school. I wanted, I wanted to go to medical school because uh, then I could actually have the credential to build a medical device company. Oh, okay, I And see. so, uh, and I managed to, uh, before I started medical school, I managed to talk to a lot of my friends who were in school at the time and really figured out what the schedule was going to be like for, you know, actually attending medical school. And I immediately figured out ways that I could, you know, essentially take a, take a job on the side and continue to, you know, work, um, while doing medical school. So I figured out ahead of time, there were definitely, you know, and I don't recommend this to the audience, but I definitely didn't go to class. Um, it wasn't mandatory, but I had all the material that I could download from the, from the school website. So I pretty much studied at night and on the weekends and during the day I'd go to work. So it worked out for me, but you know, I, it was not easy. Um, but it was worth it, you know, because I was really truly still very passionate about what I was doing and what I was learning. So it didn't feel like it was hard work. Um, and I think that's the point is that the moment that I felt like it was going to be, or I guess the moment that I felt like I wasn't passionate about it anymore, that's when it becomes hard. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, um, as you were recounting that story, it definitely reminded me a lot about some of my motivations behind founding ARB Source, um, basically right after entering, uh, my own PhD program, you know, engineering Mm -hmm. program. And, uh, and it was to, uh, to try to build out those credentials that are very necessary to, uh, bring very high tech, uh, materials or, you know, any sort of uh, water treatment type technologies Mm -hmm. to the marketplace. And what I ultimately realized, um, and I might be wrong still, I'm not even sure, but, uh, I think that, you know, A CEO of any sort of company like that doesn't really need to have a doctor initial in front of their name to be successful because any CEO is not going to be the one sitting in the lab doing that product development, at least any good one. And so after I realized that and understood the time commitments involved in actually trying to put your best foot forward and, and you know build a product and build a business model around it, execute on that, raise money, et cetera, that uh, I just didn't feel like um, it was that important anymore to continue on that PhD path. Mm. You know, we could easily uh, recruit, uh, you know, very accomplished technical people to handle that sort of work, Mm -hmm. um, which we ended up doing. In your case, I mean, you you know, you're still continuing with that MD. As you said, you're just a few months away from finishing it up. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, I mean... What are your thoughts on what I'm saying about, you know, that credential? Like, do you feel like you're doing, you know, you're, you're completing it for Picmonic or is it for your own personal worth or is it for future businesses that you want to uh, found or just be a part of?
2: That's actually a really good question. So um, you're good at this, man. It's pretty good. Dug deep there. Um, That's the goal here. For me, I, you know, just to be fully honest, I think there's just a lot of reasons why I, I wanted to finish biggest one is just, I think it's my own just personal belief and principle that I want I, I want to finish things that I start, at least wrap it up and not leave things hanging. And I really felt like this whole time I had this weight hanging that I just, you know, it really bothered me that I didn't finish a project or or finish something that was meaningful uh, for myself and others. But again, you know, I justified it with many other reasons, like it definitely will help with the business. Um, if I do have that degree, whether I'm out there giving a talk or presenting, you know, to investors or, you know, it brings instant credibility. Um, in addition, I believe it does open up a lot of doors in the future. Uh, whatever I end up doing after Picmonic, I think there's, I think that's going to help. Um, other reasons are simply, you know, I think, I owe a lot of, you know, faculty members and uh, professors that believed in me and helped me get to where I am today uh, and their desire of wanting me to finish something like that. So it's it's for that as well. You know, they they kind of went out of their way to make sure that I can take some time off of school and start this company. Mm, and, I see, yeah. okay. You know, I, I think that, you know, out of respect for their uh, dedication to, to my, you know, future – I think it was a good thing to do.
1: See, I was never given that option. So, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm very lucky. Yes. Yeah, I was only about a, a year in, anyway. So, I, I guess because uh, what you're saying is like it wasn't really till that third year when things got going, right? And so, right. Um, it was probably. I bet if I were, yeah, over two years into, uh, you know, a doctorate, that it might have been a similar sort of line of thinking that. Mm-hmm. That you're describing, so mm-hmm. um, yeah. maybe in some alternate timeline, I have a PhD. <laughs> who knows? But but really, I mean, you know, I think that um, you know the both of us can kind of understand that the the street smarts and the the learning that you pick up as a founder, or co-founder, is uh, you learn a lot very fast, and oh, alt- sure. and sure, you might not have a piece of paper that you get to hold. Uh, Once you're done, unless it's, you know, a a contract for selling your business or something Mm -hmm. like that, (laughs) Uh, you you know, but despite not having that sort of official credential, um, I certainly value more that learning than, um, you know, the more academic side. But that's my rather biased opinion.
2: You know, actually, I agree with you. Um, The amount that I've learned through Picmonic or the process of building Picmonic trumps anything that I've learned in school. You know, obviously medicine is, is also very unique in that uh, it's, it's, it's a field in itself, you know, something that people spend years and years and years to get to the finish line. So uh, if I were in your shoe and, and, you know, it was a Ph.D. that, you know, I, I knew I was going to be learning a lot more and be passionate about a project that wasn't, you know, no longer related to that Ph.D., I would have stepped aside very quickly. Um, for me, the MD was something that again, you know, like you said, I had maybe a year left. So, um, it was just dragging myself through the finish line because I had already gone so far.
1: Makes sense to me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you're right. Your industry is so different too. Mm -hmm. That MD probably means a whole lot, especially Mm -hmm. in the future if you start a medical Mm -hmm. device company or something Mm -hmm. like that.
2: Yep. Totally. Totally.
0: So I was doing a lot of, um, you know, research before the meeting and I was looking up, you know, is there a right way or a wrong way being a student and starting a business while you're in college. Right. Because Mm -hmm. I Mark, I talked to you about a year and a half ago and I got your intake on your experience in the Edson program at ASU starting your business, which I'll let you share um which, again that'd be a whole nother show it will that's... be a whole... <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is, is not a bash on edson edson is a great program but it's it's different when you target students in a very regimental program um and so while i was doing this research i really didn't find a a, a right or a wrong answer people just kind of said go do it but they also said don't always follow the advice of a business school because a business school is tailored towards the corporate giants. You know, you go to any career fair that's for a business school and it's your big mm-hmm. your big corporate 500 companies. So mm-hmm. um, perhaps a business school, like Mark mentioned earlier, is not the best way to go because a lot of those skills that you learn in a startup are mm-hmm. innate and you have to, you know, be very fast-paced and learn. Mm-hmm.
1: And that, even, and that even applies to even, like, startup incubator programs. I mean, you know, even mm-hmm. there, there's just very, uh, well, it depends on the program. But, I mean, a lot of them, in my experience, I mean, they, you know, have a bit of a cookie-cutter approach. Even if they don't say they do, it still kind of is there. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, ultimately, the best approach is a laissez-faire approach. You know, just hands off. Keep your hands off my business. Let me do my stuff. I'll let you know if uh, if I need some some advice. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I can share something that I've personally experienced about business school and the perceived value of, you know, the education system, right? Because, I mean, Picmonic does play in kind of education technology industry. So we've had to uh, discuss a lot of these topics with administrators and other companies. So uh, from, from my perspective, personally, I'll talk about the personal first and then I'll talk about the, the industry and the business. Um, I remember when i uh was about to start medical school. I had asked my boss at the time uh he was actually my boss's boss 's uh, boss Dr. Munsing I was like, Dr. Munsing, should I go and do a year of business school if I really wanted to build a medical device company and His answer to me was very simply like so why don 't you just build a medical device company and so I, I think you know there's there's a deeper truth and you know he said it very casually but i but I, I think there's a lot of a value behind just that simple response, which is what, you know, the school system and, and business schools, et cetera, provides you as a certain sense of structure for people that perhaps don't know what they don't know or don't have a certain goal, which is perfectly fine. I think that's great because you got to draw your inspiration somewhere uh, from somewhere. And I think that one of the values that business school provides, even today, I'm thinking about business school, and I'll tell you why it's because of the network. Right? You know, you are actually in a place, a very safe environment to be able to freely exchange ideas and make friends. I'm talking about relationship building again with real people who are just as maybe confused but ambitious as you. And I think a lot of magic happens that way. So I wouldn't discount, you know, business school or, or schools in general.
1: If you're saying that you're considering going,
2: Yeah, at some point. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, even today, you know, I know that through Picmonic, I've learned so much about business that I don't actually know how much more I can learn from a business school. But I'm still itching to go, because I've seen how many great, you know, friends of mine have made great friends, and started ideas from company, sorry, started companies from ideas that they generated from business school. So, You know, I wouldn't discount that. I I would see it more as an experience rather than a dependence, like to say, I have to have that in order to do something. Now, from an industry setting, I think you guys are aware, like the whole education industry has been evolving very, very quickly just in the past, you know, five, 10 years because of technology, right? A lot of things that people didn't used to do before, we talk about, you know, MOOCs, talk about uh, how accessible information is on your devices. And I think that, it's forced a lot of programs to change their mentality towards um, teaching as well. So I think that uh, perhaps some schools are still trying to figure out what value they truly create for students and how to provide a valuable educational experience without you know, just kind of laying out this structured, boring thing for people to pass through so that they can have a degree and say, oh, I have an MBA. I think the schools genuinely have the students' best interests at heart. They're also trying to adapt to this changing pace of technology and the fact that, I mean, I could sit home and learn medicine on my own. I mean, how crazy is that, right? Ten years ago, they can't do that. Now they can't. And so Mm -hmm. as a school, how can they now add an additional value to a student because of that? And I think that's the biggest question that a lot of these startups are trying to solve. That's why there's like all these new technology that comes out that serve schools, talk about flipped classroom, talk about blended learning, talk about utilizing online education in a way that innovates, that separates uh, students who are truly go-getters from students who just want to get a degree. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the MBA thing. I never, ever would have thought about it in the terms you just said but now that you did, I'm actually thinking about it like, you know what, would that make a good idea for me? <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding. Like, I, I never would have thought about it in, mm-hmm. the, in that way as far as that, not thinking of, of it as, uh, you know, an opportunity to really increase your, you know, your academic knowledge versus it's, you know, the, the value of it in building your network, especially yes. among like-minded people who yes. are around your age. Mm-hmm. And to, yeah, be um, thinking, you know, uh, very intently about brand new uh uh, business opportunities and actually having teams that mm-hmm. you can form to do that. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. How seriously have you thought about that? Like, cause, I mean, you casually, know, casually. Casually. Okay. I'm still, my, my, my plate's
2: plenty full.
0: But you know what happens is when you plant the seed, then oh, yeah. you eventually just uh, want to take action on it.
2: Yep. That happens. Yeah. And I'm ready for it. I kind of just let uh, some of these uh, activities determine what my next plans are. Um, my, se- my focus right now is on Picmonic, even school I've, I've completed it so I can really devote my energy and time in growing the business.
1: Okay. Um, and so like, where do you see Picmonic in five years? It's such a cliche question, but I got to ask, you, I know, so, like, you oh, know, I know, so I mean, like what's, what's the end game uh, for that business? And, and, and like, where do you question
2: is, do you want the cliche answer? Not really. I mean, <laughs> you got you to gotta
1: be better than me as far as you got to one up the uh, the question here. So, right. uh, so tell me, like, yeah, w- what do you want to see out of all that?
2: I think the best way to answer that question would be if we take the number of years off the table. Like, what is the vision for Picmonic? And I had a really great mentor tell me once, you know, a vision is something that you can see, right? It's not just a mission statement. That's why it's called a vision. So the vision for Picmonic is that, I can foresee students of all ages uh, as they're studying whatever material they're studying for school or for their personal needs, whenever they stumble upon a, a topic that they just can't really study or learn on their own or remember it for good, they can go to Picmonic and grab you know whatever resources that either we created or or perhaps a, f- a fellow classmate created or perhaps a professor created to help them with that specific topic. So in other words, I envision there to be Pycmonic for every tough concept that's ever taught in education. Now, can we accomplish that in five years? I don't know. We're going to try. Does that include chemical engineering? <laughs> Absolutely. It does?
1: Okay. Well, in fact, we want to build
2: more... a uh, Pycmonic uh, periodic table, the Pycmonic table. That'll
0: be hmm. fun. That is so cool.
1: Inter- like, again, it's actually making me think of specific ways that that could be accomplished, you know, yep. just based on my background. Um, but I guess it's one step at a time. We're focusing on the, the medical yep. school uh, mm-hmm. topics and, yep. I guess, all the different tests and things that That's go right. along with that.
0: I don't know, Mark. Are you a graphic artist
1: well, um I made the logo for uh for MFC systems, but besides that, <laughs> uh, not really. So you uh, know some of uh, that was out of a paint. cost a cost <laughs> savings consideration. So at the top of the show we touched upon the you know, the fact that in the early days of Picmonic and the fact that a lot of debt and, you know, very little time that you could devote and not a whole lot of knowledge that you could bring to the table to make things easy, right? You had to learn a lot of things the hard way, I'm sure. So, you know, what were some of those early missteps or, or like, personal sacrifices that you found yourself um, having to face?
2: Wow. Well, that's a of questions. So a lot of learning lessons um, or lessons learned, I should say. I like to start with team building. Um, One of the things that we learned the hard way is that most entrepreneurs, first-time entrepreneurs, especially we're talking college students, et cetera, when they start a company, they like to pull in their friends. They like to reach out to people that are closest to them and say, hey, I'm working on this really interesting project. And without knowing it, they're selling them on their vision. They're selling them and they're getting them excited. And they invite everyone and, literally everyone to join the company, and that creates a lot of issues. Um, So for us, one of the uh, things that I would recommend, obviously, for the audience and entrepreneurs who are starting out to consider is there's a lot of ways to uh, essentially build your team the right way um, by picking people who are truly value-add to the team and truly committed to the project. Um you shouldn't you should resist the temptation to bring on everyone and literally your friends your family that are excited about what you do onto the team because uh anytime you have a team member who loses commitment it hurts the culture of the team or if you have a team member who actually isn't adding value you're hurting the culture of the team so those are some of the things that we learned very early on and things that I wish I had known a little bit better that's the type of thing that either you're a very good reader and you read all these business books and learn by heart not to make those mistakes or most people yeah, learn it the hard even way even
1: then like you got to I I made the exact same mistake in fact like so for the very first time that um I ever traveled to pitch and so I actually recruited a friend of mine uh, <laughs> to accompany me um and I mean, long story short, I ended up basically having to fire him, but I didn't even know how to fire someone. Exactly. <laughs> like, <this was laughs> exactly. A, it so was it was just an awkward a- conversation. Yep. And, like, yep. You know, it was, I ended up, I remember like a glass of water, I'd take like awkward sips of it during the conversation. It was ridiculous. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Can
0: just it, envision that right now. It, yep. it was bad. But, Very
1: uncomfortable. Um, but ultimately, you know, I guess you got to go through those sorts of early experiences uh if you want to you know know how to do things the right way Mm because yeah you can't you can only learn so much yep and that's why and
2: and i'll say this too it's like if someone asked me how how would i avoid all these startup mistakes i say well you could like i said you could read a lot and and learn about it Um, but even that you're gonna miss something or you could do it and just bite the bullet, right? Or I would recommend the third route, which is definitely what I'm going to do from here on now and what I have been doing, which is just surround yourself with a lot of people who've done it and been there and have conversation with them regularly about challenges and about questions. Don't be afraid to ask, right? So if I had, you know, had a mentor at the time who would have said, whoa, hold on a second, you're bringing on way too many people, you're not thinking straight about, you know, who's actually doing what, I would have avoided that mistake altogether.
0: So. so you're not really reinventing the wheel and experiencing exactly. all those challenges exactly. by yourself mm-hmm.
2: and mistakes are costly right even though at the time i mean for us it cost a little bit of equity um, and it cost us some relationships right and that's something that's that's the that's the most expensive thing right you don't want to lose relationships so I, I think, can imagine,
0: uh, though, as a student, when your network is so limited, mm-hmm. it would—I can see how it would make it so easy just to bring in your friends.
2: And you know what? Those mistakes. A lot of these mistakes are going to be made. So it's almost mm-hmm. like, heads up—you're going to make these mistakes. But uh, I think that for the little that we can do um, to help, you know, other entrepreneurs, I want to try to send these messages out so they know. Um, to avoid some of these at least, right?
0: I think that's smart. I I have a a rule to never do business with family just because I've seen it happen in my own family and I will never, ever go through that by myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because like you were saying, it's, we want to help each other out, but if you're not a good fit, it -hmm. just makes for those awkward conversations later and it's expensive and it ruins relationships. So Mm -hmm. unless they're a really good fit for the company, then it makes sense. Yep.
1: Yeah, and in a deal to your point, um, as far as trying to spread those messages, you know, that is really one of the big goals of this podcast. Yep. Is to so I some, figure I bring that up <laughs> in some small way, at least to uh, to help uh, share those messages and to do so in a way that uh, you know is is user friendly, I guess. Mm-hmm. In, you know, as far as people that are going out there for the first time. So um, we're going to take a quick break. Sounds great to and, me. And uh, once we... Ooh, my ears are burning. Once, w- yeah. yeah. <laughs> and after that break, we'll finish off with this, um, our executive insight round and okay. close up the show.
0: Our sponsor for today's episode is the Center for Entrepreneurial Innovation, a division of the Maricopa Corporate College. CEI has an expansive network of partners to provide Arizona entrepreneurs everything from access to capital through groups like the VA Angels to on-site 3D printing and design with PADT.
1: So if you're a company looking for assistance, go to ceigateway.com and click on the apply button to get started. Okay, uh, we're back with Adil of Picmonic, and we're going to wrap up our time together today with the executive insight round, the, our, our very famous uh, segment here. So, Adil, mm-hmm. this is just a few questions here that uh, just looking for you know kind of snap answers, quick response. You don't need to think too hard about it. Oh don't man, take it too that's seriously. dangerous. You want no me
2: pressure. to think about it? <laughs> uh,
1: so here we go. Um, so Pygmonic's very art-oriented. Art has art done very well for you. So I'm curious, uh, what are three paintings or other works of art that, uh, are, that you enjoy? That's a tough one. Did I stump you already?
2: No, I, you know, there's a lot, actually. So I'm a huge Van Gogh fan. I actually recently went to the, uh, the MoMA and saw a bunch of it. So I would say you know, you know, Van Gogh's self-portrait, I really, I really, I yeah. really love that. Um Dolly's I mean this is very Picmonic, so Dolly's, you know, kind of surreal the clock melting over the the, mm-hmm. the desk uh image. Yeah, persistence um, of
1: memory, correct? Yeah, that yeah, uh got it. I took art history in there high you school and still you remember go. a little very bit.
2: Of it. <laughs> and um I would say I'll throw in um I mean you gotta have Picasso just because of how crazy some of our pictures are and you know yeah, you're uh, right. memorable. Um I think Picasso does a great job in getting people to remember things, remember his paintings.
1: I've never been to MoMA. Have you ever been to the Louvre, though, in Paris?
2: I have. I have.
1: That's a cool place. It's
2: a very, very neat place. Yeah. Glad Plenty you asked Picasso that question. and,
1: all, yep. and everything
0: else I'm for I'm envious. I'll add that to my bucket list. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so, Adil, how do you spend the first 90 minutes of an average day?
2: I exercise. So I actually, I, I guess ex- 90 minutes is long. My exercise is probably about an hour, and then I, uh, that wakes me up. And then I have breakfast and coffee, and then I'm ready to rock for the day.
1: Well, I guess maybe a lot of entrepreneurs share that sort of habit. I do the same thing. You know, I wake up, <laughs> I got like this 30 minute weight routine, then I'll go ride my bike for an hour. And in yep. fact, I'll have podcasts on uh, in the background while nice. I'm riding. And while i'm uh
2: Wait, listening to your too. own you know yeah. podcast right <laughs>
1: well I actually I actually did earlier today only because I needed to listen to it for like editing purposes uh-huh, sure, that's, sure. That's, not, that's not the average uh, average day for every me. day <laughs> um, what's well I guess on the topic of exercise so uh what's your favorite sport to play soccer okay do you have any like uh you know did you do it? You know, like, on high school teams. Like, I was on, like, uh, you know, growing up here in Arizona. Um, I was on, like, the youth soccer teams, like, AYS, AYSO.
2: Mm-hmm. I, uh, I didn't start playing uh, soccer until I came to the States, which was when I was 14. Played in high school, played intramurals all throughout college. Still play in little leagues here and there. Not little league, but, like, yeah, you yeah. know, city leagues. And uh, I just really enjoy it. Went to the last three World Cups, so. Mm. I don't know if that cool. trend's going to continue, though. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah,
1: considering what's going on lately yep. with, uh, with FIFA and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote this question. I hope I don't derail the show with this. I'm going to ask it anyway. It's really <laughs> you nerdy. You can cut it out. If it's, it's, it's really nerdy. Uh, like, do you, uh, you know, how often do you play video games? Are you a fan? Do you, did you do that growing up much?
2: It was a phase, and I stopped right when I was 14.
1: Okay. Yep. Really? Yep. It took me a bit longer, but I mean I don't really do it so much nowadays, but this just this question came to mind and I I hope it's a good one. So uh in video games where like you create your own character. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you like you have the different stats, whatever strength, endurance, agility, intelligence, whatever. So what are the you know, what's the top two traits that you always would, would max out on 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 with these characters that would put the most points into?
2: Um networking
1: networking okay i'm not sure if that's one of those normal traits but see again it's probably yeah. how about, how about probably is a stupid question i, I don't social? know social okay social? So the point is so you, like, okay making friends is that okay. a is that a it is in some games it's <laughs> in like the fallout game can you not just give to, me some
2: choices to. and i'll pick two
1: <laughs> no it's not worth it strength the point is, is that you definitely yes. are emphasized trying to to be social and, and mm-hmm. outgoing and I guess extroverted, right, is the, the main thing. Not theme.
2: necessarily. You don't have to be. But I I definitely think you have to be able to communicate with people genuinely. Okay. I think that's the key. Um, even if you're an introvert, that's perfectly fine. Um, as long as you, you know when, when you need to communicate, you have yeah. to. Otherwise, no one's going to know what you're thinking.
1: No, I'm definitely an introvert. uh by genetics or however it works. But uh, it definitely is. <laughs> by it's, Myers, it's, Myers-Briggs, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it's, been a, it's been a learned skill for me trying to, uh, you know, uh, yeah, to communicate and communicate well when you need to.
2: Well, you, yeah. you're doing pretty well. All right. you're well, doing part good.
1: of the point of this show is to, is practice, I guess, is <laughs> a personal motivation. Exactly.
2: That's great. Uh,
1: who are your top three CEO inspirations?
2: Ooh. Um, all right, uh, I would say Elon Musk is my number one. Just the way he juggles like so many different things and juggle it really well. I would say Horowitz of Andreessen Horowitz. Um, I read many of his books. Okay, very insightful guy. I mean, he he knows how to build a company. Wish I could measure up to that. Um, a third one. Uh Tony Shea. He wrote the book, yeah, okay. uh, Pursuit of Happiness. Um, the fact that he, you know, started his first company and was, you know, essentially asking himself whether or not he got lucky and he was able to prove that he didn't, which I thought was really, really cool. That he stuck through a very, very hard startup. Yeah. And I think that kind of uh persistence and determination really, you know, it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, and so Tony Shea of, of Zapos, mm-hmm. uh acquired by Amazon a little while ago, I guess. And so what I like about him is, uh, you know, the fact that he's so focused on the community building. And so it's, it's not, you know, in Las Vegas specifically. And so, like, I like the fact that he has a, it seems anyway, that he has a pretty selfless attitude mm-hmm. and that he uh, is very mm-hmm. interested in, in paying things forward mm-hmm. and putting an effort to, to help others um, specifically within his community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so, Dio. The last question, uh, our standard one for the executive insight, is: uh, If you could travel back in time to that first day of deciding to found Picmonic, what advice would you give yourself? Don't do it. No, don't. I'm just <laughs> I'm just don't <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like you're pretty I'm well just lately. Kidding. Yeah. I'm I'm just kidding. cancer. <laughs>
2: um, I would say, uh, you know, that's actually I. I would have said, you know don't doubt yourself, just, just do it. Because I, I doubted myself quite a bit. And every time, it's more of an internal turmoil, right? I would have just told myself, don't doubt yourself. I would have been a lot happier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: you seem happy enough nowadays anyway. And, and uh, from what I know, of the company, you guys are, are doing very well and, uh, and seem to have a good trajectory for the future. So I applaud you for that, definitely.
2: Thank you, thank you.
1: So it's time to wrap up the show here, Hillary. And yeah. uh, so, Adil, um, uh, we uh, wrap up with an opportunity for you to plug uh, anything you want, whether or not it's Pygmonic or, or something else. So uh, what would you like to, our audience to know or to, to uh, follow up on?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I guess, you know, considering the demographic of our audience, you know, know your audience, um, you know, we, we do have a, a learning system that helps with medical students and nursing students right now. But we are really excited about developing a set of similar tool sets for college students and for uh, essentially higher education in general. So, you know, be on the lookout for a whole set of PicMonics coming out for college. And I'm excited to share that with the world.
1: Well, keep an eye out for that. Yeah,
0: that's really exciting.
1: Okay, well, uh, Adil, thanks again My for, uh, for participating Yeah, thanks, today. Adil. Yep. Yeah, really appreciate it. So, uh, um, yeah, that does it for this episode.
0: Yes, it does. And um, as we mentioned before, don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and to subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcast library.
1: Okay, thanks for listening.
0: Thanks.